0: welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids.
1: Go Paul of College Funding Resource and today I have a very special guest and her name is Gwendolyn Moore. She's got a daughter, Acacia, who is in junior high school now and is 12 years old and Gwen is going to do something we're going to do something a little different on this phone call basically what's going to happen is I'm going to actually spend some time talking to Gwen about her thinking and her process as far as college and then she's going to turn the tables and ask me some questions about what she's got to do to prepare her daughter for college so hang on tight and listen in very carefully we'll be talking and we trust that it's going to be great information for you Again, welcome, Gwen. I'm here. So um, share with me a little bit about you and your husband's educational background. Are you the first generation to attend college in your family?
2: Actually, uh, for me, yes. And for my husband, he will be the first to complete college. He had uh, brothers and sisters to go, but they didn't complete college. So education is so important to both of us. You know, we've thrived a lot, and actually we're older parents. So we decided to go back to school because we felt we couldn't ask our daughter to do something that we weren't willing to do ourselves.
1: Well, that's important and that is really the key. So why do you feel like education is important? Why do you feel like it's important that you show your daughter or demonstrate for your daughter what you're asking her to take on in a couple of years?
2: Well, Felicia, I I think it's really important because Once upon a time ago, I can remember, well, actually I was a high school dropout, and I can remember going for, uh, applying for jobs, and, you know, they required a high school diploma. And then I remember uh, after getting a GED myself, I remember the shift went from needing a job market requiring a high school diploma to a bachelor's, and now we're many times into a, a master's degree now. And simply because we, both my husband and I, were raised by single par- in a single-parent home, we know how much we really don't want our daughter to have some of the kind of financial struggles that we had to face, overcome, or are facing in many ways. We wanted a better life for Acacia. That's why it was critical for us not only to send the message but live the message in front of her, which is something we've really tried to do. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I can see that that will make a huge difference for Acacia as she moves forward through her college education. So what do you most want to know about the whole college admission process or college
2: funding? Well, you know, one of the things that is really burning on me is how much is it going to cost and how do we get it paid for?
1: Right. So given those two questions, how much is it going to cost and how are you going to pay for it, let me ask you the next question. What have you guys done to address
2: those two issues? Well, the biggest thing that I've done is been very blessed to find you. That hopefully you'll be our guide through this mass wilderness because there's so many people that are waking up to the fact that college being a, not only just a desire but an absolute necessity, that there's so many people that are competing for dollars and where do they go and what we don't have. and all of that. So I'm really looking to you for help.
1: Yeah. So Acacia is smart and talented. Has she talked to you at all about what she might want to major in or schools that she might be interested in attending in the future? I know it's in the future, but sometimes kids are able, even at Acacia's age, to make a decision and have an idea of what direction they want to go.
2: Well, that one is almost a no-brainer. And ironically, it wasn't as much where we were hearing from her that she wants to be a veterinarian. I mean, even as little as four years old. It wasn't just what, you know, her saying, because I actually expected for it to change. But what I had to start to pay attention to is not only her love for animals, but what really made me know that this was like her life's destiny was how the animals responded to her. And, Mm. you know, just strange animals, a dog in a marketplace where you would see, you know, the owner saying, oh, no, don't touch it, don't touch it. Suddenly the animal is trying to get to her and even the owners would be surprised just shocked that they are coming to her but um the day that I knew as a parent that this was really her destiny was um went to go and get an oil change and then the customer had a wolf on like 1 inch link chain and all of a sudden, she just broke and ran to the wolf. And um, the man is trying to pull it back. I'm trying to pull her back. And in the meantime, the animal just starts licking her and everything else. And I said, okay, that's it. I understand that this is what we're dealing with. And now, you know, having to try to get her best prepared to do it.
1: Absolutely. So is there a school that offers a degree in veterinary science that you were interested in?
2: Very much so. Her fourth grade teacher had her do a project, actually do a business plan. And in the process of that, uh, we determined that Tuskegee uh, University is actually, I think, the second top veterinary school in the nation, and they're followed by um, Colorado State. So really our focus is on Tuskegee.
1: So do you have any idea how much it costs to go to a Tuskegee even today?
2: No, I'm sorry. I don't at this point. I really don't. Do you have any well- idea?
1: Uh Yeah, actually, I did a little research because I knew the answer uh, to the question I asked, which is it costs about $25,000 to attend Tuskegee today. That's tuition, room, and board. Is that a surprise to you?
2: Very much so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: is it a concern? You know, $25,000, is it a concern for you? And why is it a concern for you?
2: But frankly, because where we are financially now, given also her age, You know, my only exposure to it at the cost of college at this point has been the local community colleges. So I didn't have any idea that it was that much.
1: Yeah, and the thing about it is a veterinary program is generally a six-year program, is it not? Or can Uh, you get it done in four?
2: I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure. I figured that it was going to be something you know, like a medical doctor, but I didn't know about how much time. And, uh, well, you yeah. know what
1: I did is I went to one of my favorite calculators on the internet and basically I put in a four-year, I figured Acacia Smart, she's going to get through in four and I basically extrapolated it out. So right now, cost of colleges are inflating anywhere between 5 and 7%. And I just used 6% because it was in the middle. So basically, at $25,000 for a four-year college, we estimate that it's going to be about $155,000 for those four years of college by the time she starts it and completes it six years from now and completes it four years after that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, breathe, breathe, breathe. Yes. Yeah, it is is hard to imagine that type of thing. Do you have any idea how much you're going to be expected to pay?
2: No. Out of that
1: $155,000. No
2: idea at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm trying to and, and probably won't be
1: able to think about that <laughs> until this phone
2: call is over.
1: Yeah, that, that number is a little breathtaking. It is a little breathtaking. But here's the good news from your perspective is you are not necessarily going to be required to pay that whole $155,000. And I think that's probably one of the things that I most want parents to get out of listening to this interview is the fact that just because the cost of college is going to be $155,000 in this example, it doesn't mean that you are going to be required to pay the entire thing. That's the great news.
2: Okay, so how much of that will we have to pay?
1: Well, it's really kind of built on a formula, and the formula is, tied to the fast reform. So let me just kind of step back for a minute and talk about the process. The process is you complete the free application for federal student aid. You complete it in one of two ways. You can complete it online or you can complete it on paper. Now, it's faster, quicker, all those good things to fill it in online, but not everybody has computers at home or has access to a computer. That's why you can still do it both ways. Basically, after you complete the FAFSA form, what happens is You get a student aid report, and in the student aid report, it tells you what your expected family contribution is, and your expected family contribution is really tied to your income and assets, Acacia's income and assets, the age of the oldest parents, the size of the family, and those are some of the factors that go into the FAFSA form. Based on your expected family contribution, that's how much you're expected to pay, so My niece, who is going to be going away to college very shortly, uh, based on her income and assets, the size of the family, et cetera, her expected family contribution is only $1,000. So if we use Tuskegee as an example, $25,000 minus $1,000, that's how much they're expected to pay, then they have need of... $24,000. Is that clear?
2: Clear. Yes, that's clear. I understand. So we would only have just that whatever expected family contribution would be what we would have to pay. And then how is the rest paid?
1: Well, now there's a good question. The assumption that a lot of parents make, and this is one of the things that I most want parents to get out of this phone call, is not all schools will pay all of that $24,000. All right. So you need to find a good partner. The one thing I tell parents is that applying and going to college is a partnership. It's a partnership with the parents, the student, and the school. The student has to get the best grades possible participate in activities, do all the right things so that there are great candidates and schools are looking to and will welcome them into their student body. Parents, they need to save, they need to be prepared to pay their expected family contribution and schools are looking to basically balance out and put together the best class that they can. And one of the ways that schools can be good partners in this whole process is they can put together financial aid packages that basically fill up all your deed, but not every school does. So one of the things that I would really want you to understand and know, Gwen, before you're thinking about sending her off to Tuskegee, is whether or not Tuskegee is a good partner. And the way you're going to know that is you have to ask them. You ask them, what types of financial aid packages do you put together? Is your policy to cover all of my needs? Because some schools have a policy of that and some schools do not have a policy of that. And that's good information to have today as opposed to when your daughter's a senior in high school, she's fallen in love with Tuskegee. You've taken her down on the college tours, she's gone down, she's fallen madly in love with Tuskegee and you find out potentially it's not a good partner. You don't want to find that out at that point because at that point, you're going to have to do one of two things. You're going to have to either tell her, Acacia, you can't go there because we can't afford it, or Acacia, we haven't saved enough. Those are both conversations that you don't want to have with her.
2: So with this, let me go back if I can to the partnership. Sure. Okay. With the thing about the partnership, can I ask things like, you said something about school. That, let's start with acacia part of this. Okay. You talked about activities. What type of activities and how does it have bearing on her financial aid?
1: Um, colleges are looking to put together a well-rounded population of students who come there. So they're gonna look for people who are good in athletics. They're gonna look at people who are good in music. They might be looking for students who are just really smart. They also want students that are good citizens. So oftentimes it means your extracurricular activities. And one of the things that I think you need to be careful with as you start to direct her and help her make choices as far as that is it's not the quantity of extracurricular activities. They're also looking for a little bit of depth. They don't want to see that she's tried, you know, six different things in college I mean, in high school and never stuck with any of them. They want to know maybe she was a cheerleader all four years. I was a cheerleader all three of the four years that I was in high school. So they want to kind of look at those sorts of things. They also might want to know if she was in clubs. Was she the president of the club? Did she participate in the club? Was there anything that she did that was outstanding about being in it? They helped raise, you know, X amount of money for whatever, and she's the person who put together the project for it. So it's about building your, if you will, resume while in high school. Some of the activities she might have actually started already, you know, it's maybe she volunteers at a dog shelter, and she started volunteering now, and then she just continues all the way through high school. You know, it might be those sorts of things. So they want to see a little bit of consistency. They're not necessarily looking for a large number of things. One of the uh, people that I talked to a a couple years ago, their daughter was a world-class fencer. Now, the nice thing from her particular perspective is the majority of the schools that had a fencing team are Ivy League schools. So, you know, for Ivy League schools that were looking to build up their fencing team, she was the ideal candidate, and so they were fighting amongst themselves for her. So it's those sorts of things. It's about basically the same thing that you would do to build your resume to get a job. It's the same sort of thing that you're doing to build your resume to get into college.
2: That's clearer. And I'd like to also ask what bearing does SAT scores, I mean, that's something that I'm, I hear it everywhere about taking the SAT and SAT scores, but I really don't understand, you know, like what is the process that SAT scores have on financing college or college admission, or what does it really mean? I'm simply, I don't know what that means.
1: Well, I guess the the short answer is it depends, which doesn't really tell you anything. Let me kind of add to that. So what it depends on is typically a class is trying to put together a student body that has certain characteristics. One of the things that you can ask a school about, and they'll be able to tell you, is what's kind of the median SAT scores or the range of SAT scores. So it might be somewhere, you know, 1,200 to 1,500. That's kind of the median. So if your daughter came in with an SAT score that was kind of on like an 1800, then she would be above the general population of the school. That might put her in a, a position to qualify for additional financial aid because they know that with those scores, she might be able to go to a, another caliber of schools. If you think about colleges as a Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, if your daughter has SAT scores that are Tier 1 scores and she's applying to a Tier 2 school, then the Tier 2 school is completely aware that somebody's applying that could go to a Tier 1 school. So they might put together a financial aid package based on her SAT scores that is more favorable in order to try and attract her and get her to highly consider their school. So that's one factor of SAT scores. Also, I think of SAT scores as kind of a weeder. You know, if your SAT scores are too low, then that may be one of the qualities that they look at, as well as your application and your grade and stuff like that, in order to just kind of say, well, you know, maybe we'll put her on the wait list or maybe we'll just flat-out deny her. So SAT scores are very important, and it's very important that she tries to get the best scores that she can.
2: Thank you. i got a better picture now. <laughs> I definitely have a better picture because I, I didn't know how the bearing. I just hear a lot of parents talking about this, and, you know, it wasn't relative to me because my kid was not, either I wasn't a parent at the time or my kid was so young it wasn't here, but I'm now starting to see that this is we're getting into the times that I need to understand more about these things, you know?
1: Well, it's kind of like my daughter just took out here, where I'm from, there's a standardized test. You know, my daughter was like, well, you know, it's coming up and I'm gonna try my best, but you could just hear that she wasn't really gonna try too much, you know what I'm saying? She just thought it was something that she was gonna show up for. I said, no, this test will put you on a track in the school that will either lead you down this path or it will lead you down that path. So what we do in this house is we always do the best work possible. I was just like, so don't give me this, I'm going to try stuff that doesn't give me any hope that you're going to try. I was right. just like, I really want to hear that you are going to do the best that you can, and that's what I want to hear, because I would prefer that you be on the upperly moving track than any other track.
2: I see. Let me ask you then, how much with these types of things, when we talk about how to package your child for financial aid, of course, scholarship money comes into my mind, too, because that was the next thing that I was talking about, you know, thinking about, that we could not afford to pay for college, then scholarships seem to be the way. But how do you really compete for those? You know, what's the, the best way to prepare to compete for scholarships?
1: You know, I'm going to share with you kind of my thoughts on scholarships. So Scholarships are great if you can get them. However, I know that out of the $130 billion that goes for financial aid, mm-hmm. only about 2% of that comes from scholarships. So that's a little bit surprising to most parents because most parents are are thinking, I've got a bright and talented student and I'm just going to get lots and lots of scholarships. I'm not saying that you won't get scholarships, but I will tell you that it's a process. What I usually suggest is in your junior year, you and your daughter really start to sit down and identify scholarships that you want to apply for. And get the paperwork, look at them, get familiar with them. And the reason I think that that's important is twofold. One of the biggest mistakes that I see again and again and again is I was talking with a gentleman who runs the ACAP program for the National Association of Black Accountants. And they do a summer program, an outstanding summer program, every single summer, and they give away scholarships to students who participate in their program. Despite the fact that they have over 50 students typically every summer, they don't get enough applicants from a very limited pool to apply for the scholarships that they offer. Oh, So one of the biggest mistakes that I see parents and students make is they wait to the last minute so they don't really have time to pursue opportunities and in addition to that, they don't have time to put together a quality package. So while some of the questions may change from year to year on a scholarship application, some of the stuff is really kind of fundamental. And so if you already have a sense of how you're going to address those issues and not to mention put together kind of your game plan, these are the ones that are due at this time, this is the one that's due at this time, this is the one that's due at this time, That this, this is the one that's due at this time, then you can make sure that you hit all the deadlines and you've got the time to write the applications and get the letters of recommendation and all the rest of the things that you've got to do. You know, line that up to the extent that you can in your junior year so that when you're in your senior year, when it's actually time to complete those scholarship applications, you're on it. One of the biggest mistakes I see is students miss those deadlines all the time or they're coming to me, you know, right about now. It's March. They're coming to me saying, I really need some scholarships. What can you do? Well, they've missed a lot of the deadlines.
2: Okay, okay.
1: They've missed a lot of the deadlines. Wow. They should wow. have been applying for scholarships since last summer. Wow. You know, some of the deadlines are as early as during the summer before your senior year into September, October, November, into your senior year. So it's important to do that. The other thing about scholarships is I always say go after the easy money. What's the easy money from my perspective? The easy money is the scholarships that you can get because – your auntie belongs to a sorority. Your uncle belongs to a fraternity or the Elks Club or you know whatever that group is. Your other aunt works at this employer and they give scholarships to family members. Those are generally pretty easy money to get. You can get five hundred a thousand whatever those dollars amount. they add up you know a lot of people are like Barry Bonds about this. They basically are swinging for the stars they 're trying to get. The big money, the $25,000, $10,000 scholarships. I'm not saying don't go after that, but if you can get, you know, $1,000 ones and there's not a whole lot of competition for that, you know, go after that money. That's the right. easy money. So start kind of planting in your mind, so-and-so is in that group. Those guys always get scholarships. So-and-so is in... In that group, and they always give scholarships. And find out now, start talking to people about, you know, if you belong to a church. Oftentimes, churches have got scholarships. If she's interested in being a veterinarian, she may want to also look for associations of veterinarians. They're often got scholarships for people who are interested in those sorts of programs. One of the biggest mistakes that I made when I was applying to college was my father was an accountant, and he gave me a couple applications for accounting organizations, but I didn't. I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention because I was doing this at the last minute, as I'm telling people not to do. And basically what I had in my mind when I was going away to college that I wanted to go to law school. So all of my letters were like, well, you know, when I become a lawyer, da-da-da-da-da. So I hadn't even modified my letters. I'm sending letters to accountants saying that I want to become a lawyer. So, you know, I politely give these letters back saying, well, then apply to organizations who, who Uh who you know, (laughs) of lawyers. Don't be sitting in an accounting organization, an application saying that you want to be an attorney. Send an accountant organization, an application saying that you want to be an accountant. Just be smart
2: about it. I understand. It sounds like a lot of work. Well, maybe you have another question for me. I'm, like, on a roll now because you just just no, go ahead, all of these things, and I'm going.
1: Yes. Um, no, that's okay.
2: You know, say, with junior year, just thinking about I've already seen now that I, number one, need to, say, get her volunteering, starting to build her resume. Now, I'm looking back at this partnership. You've told me now what I need to do as far as, you know, checking with the schools and so forth, what our responsibility is now with, you know, packaging and looking for scholarships. But I'm still hearing a place that while the school has a package and the scholarship has a package, that we may still be running in a deficit. So I'm asking, you know, what are the ways do we pay for college? Well, I
1: mean, well Gwen, pay- you've got time on your hands. I mean, you may not realize it, but you really have time on your hands. You've got some time to do a couple of things. One is you've got time to save for your daughter's education. You could be putting money aside into any number of vehicles. Probably one of the vehicles that most people are most familiar with are 529 plans. 529 plan is just a section of the tax code. That allows these sorts of plans, but basically, you put money into these sorts of accounts. The money grows tax deferred, and as long as you use it for your daughter's education, then you never pay any taxes on it. You'd only pay taxes on it if you took money out and used it for something other than that. Oftentimes, my daughters have got accounts and UGMA accounts that are accounts where I'm the custodian of it. I'm the holder of the account, but it's for their benefit. So, all their Christmas money from aunties and uncles and grandmothers have kind of been going into these accounts. So, you know, over their lifetime, over their time until college, there'll probably be a fairly sizable amount of money in that account. So, if you've got those sorts of things also in play.
2: Uh, The name of that account is called the what again?
1: It's, depending upon what state you're in, it's either an UGMA account or an UTMA account. It's basically an account that says, uh, Felicia Gopal, custodian for Alexis Gopal, and I've got mine in savings account because my kids are relatively young, so there's not a whole lot of money in them. So I've got them with banks, but you can have them with brokerage accounts. You can have them with mutual funds. You can hold them in a lot of different ways. That's just how I hold mine given the current balances.
2: Can you spell the name of this account for me, please?
1: (laughs) It's just U-M-G-A. If you went anywhere and said, I need to open a custodial account for my daughter, Okay. That's what it is. You just say, I'm looking for a custodial account for my daughter, and they'll know what to do. Depending upon your state, it would either be an UTMA or a UGMA account, uniform gift to minors account or uniform transfer to minors account. Okay.
2: All right. That's a good idea of having aunties and uncles contributing to this thing, too. So anybody can contribute to this UGMA or the 529?
1: Anybody can open a 529 account for the benefit of. It might be a little unwieldy to have everybody contributing to an UPMA account. Typically what happens in my house is people write me a check for the benefit of my kids and then i just cash it and then put it into their account cuz i know that that was the intent it was for my kids benefit not for me but i will tell you that also lots of parents and grandparents out there have opened 529 accounts for the benefit of either their children or their grandchildren and anybody can do that on behalf of the children or grandchildren Now, one of the major advantages about a 529 account is there's no income limits. A lot of the things that are currently out there in terms of savings vehicles, there's income limits on them. 529 plans don't currently have any income limits. That means that no matter how much money you make, you can still put money into these accounts for the benefit of your children or grandchildren.
2: Is there a minimum amount that you can start off with? I mean, do I have to have like $1,000 to open this account or something?
1: Well, it really... It kind of depends on the, the company, so I can't really speak to that specifically. But oftentimes, if you're going to make a commitment that you're going to be putting money in on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, um, some consistent basis, and typically it will um, be tied to a bank account, then they'll let you open it with less than $1,000 to start. It's kind of like, you know, direct deposit at your bank. Your bank allows you to open a checking account, but it's got to have direct deposit on it. So these are very similar in that they'll allow you to open it, but you've got to say that I'm going to tie my bank account to this and I'm going to put money in on, you know, X amount of dollars every month, quarter, semi-annually, annually. It's generally monthly or quarterly, to be honest.
2: Monthly or quarterly. Okay, got that. I'm taking notes when you sound here. like okay. you're taking note. I am taking notes. I am taking notes. I mean, you're having a valuable, we're having a conversation, but, you know, there's such valuable information here. I want to make sure to get these down. Wow. You know, at first I was feeling really overwhelmed when you shot the figure of letting you know how much this was. And then, you know, the more you've been talking, the more doable that's starting to feel like to me. I know that when talking in past time, the thing that I know that saddens me the most is that some of the information, every time I talk to him, I'm getting more and more and more grounded. It's making it more a possibility rather than just a pipe dream for my child to be able to actually pursue what she wants to do because there was a part of me that was feeling a bit fearful that, you know, this was a really huge dream of hers and that, you know, we wouldn't be able to afford it. You know, that commercial the United Negro College Fund with a kid that has these excellent grades, wonderful mind, and the parents don't have their money for college. And uh, the mind is a terrible thing to waste in it. Not that I had nightmares about it, but it was definitely a concern.
1: I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second and just hold that thought. One of the things that I just want to kind of leave you with, is I talked about $155,000, but the other thing about that is you may get some money from scholarships, you may get some money from financial aid, you may need to finance a portion of it, but when you're thinking about saving for it, you have to make the determination, am I going to try and save all the money? Um, Because trying to save $155,000 between now and six years from now, that would be hard to do. Or the other alternative is, You know, maybe I'll just try and save for the first two years of college. You know, whatever I expect to pay, I'll have to save for the first two years of college. I'm just going to assume that college stays the same. We know that it's not going to save the same. But say assume that you're going to try and save $50,000. Well, $50,000 may be a little bit more easily done than $155,000 because you're expecting that you'll get some financial aid, you'll get this, you'll get that. So that may be Doable inside of that. But the other thing about it is loans are becoming more and more a part of people's financial aid packages. Some of the Ivy League schools, like Princeton, have kind of done away with loans in their financial aid packages, and that's a beautiful thing. But the majority of the colleges in the nation don't have that as part of it. We will put together a financial aid package and none of it will be student loans. Quite a bit of it is going to be student loans. They say that over 50% of the money that is used to pay for college comes from student loans. That's important to understand. Some of the money that you may need to use to pay for Acacia's College may come from loans, as well as financial aid, as well as your own savings as well as some of your own cash flow. There's lots of different resources as far as monies for college. But the thing to remember is that you don't want to pay for college at the expense of yourself. What do I mean by that is, Right behind college for a lot of parents is either another kid <laughs> or uh, who's getting ready to go off to college or another couple of kids who are getting ready to go off to college. But right behind that is retirement. So you never want to bankrupt your retirement to pay for a kid's education, because the reality is there are always ways to finance college, but there is no financing available for retirement. So the thing is, I know you love your daughter, I love my daughters, but I need to caution you. Whatever you do, you do not bankrupt yourself in order to put Acacia through school.
2: That makes so much sense. You know, I was thinking... Well, it's
1: a hard message for parents to hear, yeah. Um, but it does make a lot of sense. It kind of, you know, I mean, this is your baby. You've been working to develop her, and you want to give her everything that you can. But if at the end of the day you don't have the resources to take care of yourself, then you've really created a
2: problem. And, you know, my first instinct was, like, for instance, to, if push came to shove to say take a loan against my retirement fund or something like that, but... Then when you said, well, there's no way that you can fund your retirement, I'm going, uh-oh, maybe not a good idea. But I also was thinking that I'm hearing news stories about kids coming out of school and so strapped with these enormous student loan debt that when they actually start to hit the workforce, their loan payments are so high that they have difficulty in balancing their current life expenses with their student loans, you know. That was, again, another concern for me, you know. Can I ask a question that's kind of really adjacent to that? Is, okay. How long are we expecting, you know, at what point is she considered an independent student? At what age or how much are we responsible for what age to her continuing her school versus her own independence and her responsibility? as far as our financial aid package is concerned.
1: All right, so let me kind of address that question. The answer is they've changed the rules. A lot of the parents who might be listening to this remember the days where you went off to college. They didn't put it together enough financial aid for you, so your parents declared you independent, and then you went back to the financial aid office and said, you know, I'm independent and now can qualify for additional financial aid. Well, those days are gone. So whoever had that in their back of their mind as their strategy, those days are gone. Now, in order to be an independent student, you either have to have gotten your first degree or you have to be age 24, or you have to be in the military, active service, or you have to be married, or you have to have dependents. I mean, those are a lot of things that most parents don't want for their kids. So the thing to think about is you are responsible for paying for your daughter's education probably up until she's 24. After 24, she has not gotten her degree, then she's on her own. But, again, those are not things that you really are hoping and praying for the child that you're raising. Those are kind of not circumstances that you want. You don't want your daughter pregnant. <laughs> you don't want her to get married right out of high school. Those are, Or at least those are not things that I want no, for my daughter. So let me just speak for myself.
2: Please don't even date till you get out of high school. <laughs> Can I have to until yeah, you're finished with college, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, wow. Well, I think that kind of wraps me up with some of the questions that I had. I don't know if uh I mean, this is such a large subject. I know that there are a lot of things that I don't want to – I don't know how much more time you have because there's just all these questions that can continue to come up. But I don't know how your time is. And, and uh...
1: Well, I just want to probably wrap it up and talk about a couple of key points that I want parents to understand as we kind of go through there. First of all, college is an investment. And what I mean by that is one of the things that I think it's important and imperative as a parent for you to talk to your kids about as part of the partnership is I want you to have a conversation about, you know what, I'm investing in your education, so it's important that you do well while you're in school. And let me just tell you why I think that's important. When I went away to college, I was actually one of those kids that was always very good in high school. But I lost my mind in college, started bringing home grades that my mother did not want to support. And so she gave me a couple of semesters to kind of get it together. And when I did not, she basically said, you know, you're on your own. You get to complete this education on, on your own. So I think it's important for parents. You know, you want your kids to have fun, you want them to enjoy themselves in school, but you also want them to know before they're going off to college that I am only going to support behaviors that show that you understand your part in this partnership. Your job, if you will, is to get through the school, do it in four years, possibly five years, whatever it takes, but your job is to get the best grades possible, and as long as you're putting in your efforts, then I will continue to support that. Also, I think it's important to remember that school is a partnership with parents, students and the college. Each of them have their own roles. Uh we just talked about the students' roles, the parents' roles is to it's not your time to relive your your youth, the, the college that you thought you wanted to go to, that you didn't go to, or any of those sorts of things. It's time for you to really kind of invest in your son and daughter's health and happiness and help support them in what can be a kind of a challenging time in their lives as they're moving from, you know, living solely with you to really starting to take those first baby steps into their own manhood, womanhood. It's also a partnership with the colleges. Look for schools that are good partners. Ask the questions before. Take the time now to go on the Internet, put in your income, your assets, that sort of thing. Understand what your expected family contribution is today. The reason I say it's important for you to take the time to do that now, because if you will not qualify for financial aid today, probably may not qualify for need-based financial aid in the future. So that's very, very important. Applying to college is a process. The whole thing is a process. And the more that you learn about the process, the better results you're going to have.
2: Let me ask this. What are the – if we were just going to go nuts and bolts and you could summarize what your services – what you offer as far as your services are concerned – to help me get, you know, positioned the way I want to get my daughter positioned to years Here's the goal. We're going to do skiing. We've got six years, da-da-da. What actual services do you offer to help me to facilitate this goal? Well,
1: you know, I'm a certified college planning specialist. And what happened was a couple of years ago, uh, probably about five or six years ago, what I ended up doing is I kept on running into parents who didn't understand this process and were really just struggling. I had been trained because I'm also a certified financial planner. I'd been trained to tell, help people save for college. So I would meet you when you know you just had your baby or you had a 2-year-old or 6-year-old and we would just have time to save and I would tell you you need to save, you know, x amount of dollars and you would or you would not. And at the end of the day, by the time your kids were ready to go off to college, we had saved up a sizable amount of money that you could then use to pay for your son or daughter's education. However, what I kept on doing is running into parents who had never had the opportunity, you know, life came up. They just never saved as much as they wanted to. And they were still looking at, I've got to pay for my kids' education. And I really didn't have a game plan for them. So what I found out is uh, there's actually a certification called the Certified College Planning Specialist. in these people are like myself, and basically what I do is I know the ins and outs of managing money specifically for college. I know the best ways of obtaining the best financial aid packages possible based on your income, your goals, your lifestyle. And one of the things that we do is as a CCPS certified college planning specialists as we expand and refresh our expertise with 24 hours of continuing ed every single year. And the reason that's important is because this is an area that's constantly changing. You know, as Congress increases, you know, looks for ways. The other day there was something in the local newspaper out here where they were talking about Congress was, was getting ready to run a um, series of, what do you call those things, when it's the panel and they've got experts. I can't think of what the word is. But they were going to do it on college endowments. And they were saying, there's something wrong with the fact that there are universities out there who've got billions of dollars in endowments and we're going to make them take money out of their endowments. Well, yes, there's a problem with colleges having a billion dollars in endowments. But it's not necessarily a problem for the students. And then what I mean by that is the fact that
0: some endowment money
1: is tied to something. Like we can only give it to, you know, these sorts of people. Or we can only use it for this purpose. It's not like general money that we could just kind of go into. It's not money in the bank. It's not money in your pocket. So that's one thing. It all recognized the fact that Congress made a change a couple of years ago that changed student loan rates from like 3 or 4% to over 6% and 8% for the PLUS loans. That was probably more impactful than the fact that a college has – a billion dollars in their endowment funds because you've made it more expensive for students to take money out. And this kind of wraps back to the question that you, you were asking about before, which is how much debt should a student take, which the answer to that is it really kind of depends on what their first job is out of college. I had a student that was considering becoming a social worker, and was looking at one college that was going to cost about, you know, $40,000, $50,000, and the person would come out of school and be a social worker, or they could go to a state college and graduate at colleges that cost where they would end up with about $25,000 in debt. The other one, they would end up with about $100,000 worth of debt. At the end of the day, they would still have the same degree. At the end of the day, their first job, they would probably be making somewhere around $30,000, $35,000. Wow. So if you're looking at it, which would make the most sense? Do you go to the costly college or do you go to the state college? Because you're getting out of it with the same degree. So you've got to think about that. Another example is I had parents that I was working with, and the student was an actor. He was going to a school that was really known for having a big film and production campus, but he had been making somewhere between anywhere between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars for the last three or four years as an actor. However, there's a number of kids who are at that same school who haven't made a dime as an actor, and his parents were looking at should I pay forty thousand dollars for his education or not and I was just like, "Well, it seems like he is going to have a career coming out of it you know, because he's already been making money as an actor as opposed to somebody who's never been in a play who thinks that they want to become an actor and has never gotten a dime won from being an actor. I said in that particular case, it makes a lot of sense. He's already gotten a reputation, if you will, as an actor. He's already making money as an actor. He's been making consistent money as an actor. And I thought it made a whole lot of sense. So it really kind of depends if you get out of school, if you have a pretty good idea going in, what kind of degree you think you're going to get and what sort of job you would get out of that. So that's kind of one of the things where the parents and the students will really kind of need to work together to identify Majors and opportunities, job opportunities that the student will be able to do, and really kind of dig, go back and look at what type of income, what kind of job can I get, what kind of lifestyle will I be able to support when I graduate from college. I think that's very, very important for parents and students to understand before they go to college rather than take on you know, $100,000 worth of debt and get a job out of college where you're only making $30,000 or even worse, some things you have to actually really have a master's degree in order to really make any money. So not only have you just spent $100,000 on your undergraduate, but you really are going to now need to go back to school for a master's degree in order to go into that career really fully.
2: It makes sense, you know, it, it really makes sense. Her earning potential will be great as she builds her clientele, but coming right out of Google, you know, what will it be And that's concerning. Well,
1: I, you know, I have a really crazy story that I'm going to end with. I have a really good girlfriend whose niece just graduated from Stanford, and uh, everybody was over the house. They were talking to her, and they're telling her, congratulations, you've just graduated. We're so proud of you, all that good stuff. Well, she had gotten her undergraduate degree. She had also gotten a master's degree and then had just completed her PhD. So she had been in school and she was about 32 years old. So she would never really worked or she had never worked outside of the school confines. And she was graduating with $300,000 worth of debt, $300,000 worth of debt. And all of us were looking at that. So of course the question was, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do now that you 've graduated? You know we 're so proud of you, all that good stuff and she was just like well i 'm thinking about taking the summer off you know i I've been in school for so long i I think i'm going to take the summer off and so all of us kind of looked at each other and said Okay, <laughs> you know, kind of with gritted teeth. Okay, $300,000 a debt, and you're talking about taking the summer off. Okay, I can understand you've been in school all your life. Go. Okay, okay, that kind of makes sense. Well, what kind of job are you going to get? And she hadn't lined up a job at that point. And she was saying, I'm thinking about going back and working at this nonprofit that I used to work at. And everybody's just like, oh, you're going to be the executive director of the, the nonprofits, because everybody's kind of thinking worth of debt. You need to be making substantial money to kind of support that. And she was just like, no, I'm thinking about taking a job as, you know, similar job that I had before, and I'll probably be making nice money. And, again, she's talking about maybe $40,000, $50,000. And everybody just kind of swallowed really hard because she was like the only person in the room who didn't understand that she couldn't afford to do that. She could not afford to make that choice. Because she had to pay her debt. She lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. She lived in Palo Alto. Those are very expensive places to to live. So she's got to live. She's got to pay back that debt. And then there's all the other stuff that you've got to do. So making sure that you have a really clear idea of what type of job and what kind of debt you can support is an important part of making decisions about what colleges you're going to direct your daughter to or have her highly consider. So, again, this is Felicia Gopal with College Funding Resource, and today with me was Gwendolyn Moore, and she was talking about and asking me questions about getting her daughter prepared for college. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and pay attention, and we'll be coming back with another installment in this series of interviews. Thank you very, very much.
2: Gwen, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the information. Look forward to working with you continually on our project as we go along. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you will join us again for our next podcast, where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources report titled, Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk podcast.